Welcome. A short potted history to begin with. The church, the only grade one listed building in Frogham, dates from Anglo-Saxon times and is one of the churches mentioned in the Doomsday Book of 1086. It is dedicated to St. Lawrence, a young Roman deacon who was martyred in AD 258 by Emperor Valerian. His emblem is a grid iron, on which tradition has it he was put to death. Although a small number of elements of the church's Saxon origins remain, the church is largely Norman in design, dating from around 1160 to 1180, with extensive later additions. Frogham was a prominent centre of dissent during the Civil War of 1642 to 1651. The vicar at that time, Dr. Roland Haywood, was driven out of town for his reactionary views. He resumed his duties in 1660, when Charles II was restored to the throne. It is not known whether there was any destruction of the church during this period of time, although in 1664 the Bishop of Chester made an order that the pulpit be restored to its original position before the Civil War. The church underwent extensive restoration between 1880 and 1882. The galleries and pews were removed, and a number of features were added including the seating you see today. Whilst the chairs are in need of replacement, they do allow for different arrangements of worship, for example with a centre altar, and can accommodate plays and concerts with ease. The church thrives, and has a place in the hearts of many members of the community far beyond the worshipping congregation. Begin at the south door by the large font. This font is one of two found in the church and was donated to the church during the restoration of 1880 to 1882 by a local parishioner. Carved into the stone around the font are four animals who represent the writers of the four gospels, their names being written in Latin. The winged man or angel represents Saint Matthew, the winged lion represents Saint Mark, the winged ox represents Saint Luke, and the winged eagle represents Saint John. Written around the edge of the wooden cover are the words, They brought young children to Christ, that he should touch them. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. In recent times, a smaller font, now mounted on a movable base, has been used more often because it can be located amidst the congregation. This helps convey that the child is being welcomed by the whole congregation. This smaller font is thought to be the older of the two fonts. It came from St. Dunstan's Chapel, once a sister church to St. Lawrence's, but now used for worship by Frogham Community Church. The letters H-I-S on it represent the Greek letters for I-E and S, the first three letters of Jesus' name. They can be found in several places around the church. Notice the pillars. The four older pillars are nearest to you, three being round and one octagonal, and they date back to the building's Norman origins. There are two further columns, each with eight sides. The stonework at the top of the older pillars is characteristic of late Norman stonework. The reason for one being octagonal is not known. The rounded arches date from the 12th century and were extended during the 1880 restoration. The stone used was locally quarried 
and is similar to that used at Norton Priory, which was built at a similar time. Walk through the wooden doors at the back of the church into the base of the tower. Here sculptured Anglo-Saxon fragments of carved heads are built into the fabric of the church high up in the south wall. Their presence implies that there was a church on this site long before the Doomsday Entry of 1086. Note the board that dates the organ to 1790, with the information that it was paid for by voluntary subscription. At that time, a piece of land was purchased to provide income to pay for the upkeep of the organ. The land is known as the Organ Lot, and is now in Kingsley Parish. It has recently been sold to provide much-needed income to support the 2015 restoration of the church roof. The board high up on the opposite wall showing a royal coat of arms can be dated to between 1707 and 1714. It is an old version of the royal arms and represents the sovereign of the time, Queen Anne. If you look carefully, you may be able to make out the French fleur-de-lis. This relates to Edward III, descended from the French royal family on his mother's side, who laid claim to the crown of France when his uncle, the French king, died without an heir. It also has the Scottish lion and the English lion in the same quarter, top left and bottom right, because England and Scotland had just become a united kingdom in 1707. The tower projects from the body of the church, and the high blocked arches, visible internally, suggest that the tower was once open to the north and south. This would once have been the main entrance into the church. The building of the lower vestry down the stairs meant that this entrance was sealed. There are eight bells still rung each Sunday. Four of the bells date from the 17th century. Two more were added in 1734, with the final two being added in 1911, making a ring of eight bells. Returning to the back of the nave, turn to your right and look high up on the wall of the tower. Here you will see a memorial to Peter Banner, a local carpenter who died of dropsy in 1749, aged 50. It is said that over the 33 months prior to his death, he was tapped 58 times and had 1,032 quarts of water taken from him. Walk to the North Isle, furthest away from the large font. The North Isle dates from the 14th century remodeling of the church and replaced an earlier Norman Isle. The windows on the north side, however, are part of the much later Victorian restoration. The brass memorial plates fixed to the walls and piers would once have been mounted on floor slabs which were taken up either during or prior to the Victorian restoration. The extensive galleries and plaster ceilings added in about 1740 were removed during the Victorian restoration, and a photograph at the back of the church documents their appearance prior to their removal in 1880. Near to the north door is a memorial tablet to Francis Gastrel, vicar from 1740 to 1772. He officially lived in the vicarage in Frodham during this time. However, in 1756 he also bought New Place in Stratford, which was the house where Shakespeare spent his retirement and subsequently died in 1616. 
Following the playwright's death, the house passed to his daughter Susanna Hall, and then to his granddaughter Elizabeth. When she died, the house went back to the Clopton family. The Cloptons opened the house to the public, and it attracted many visitors eager to see where Shakespeare had lived. Gastrel managed to gain notoriety during his spells of residence in Stratford, which eventually caused him to be expelled from the town on a permanent basis. One account of the actions leading up to this ban was that he found the intrusive nature of the public attention particularly difficult at New Place. In 1759, he lost patience with visitors constantly staring at the house and the garden, and vented his anger on the mulberry tree believed to have been planted by Shakespeare. He chopped it down to the ground and sold it for firewood. Another viewpoint suggests that he thought he could reduce the value of the property by the removal of the tree, and thus the amount of tax he had to pay. Whatever the reasons for his action, the townspeople showed their dismay by breaking his windows. Gastrel continued by making a clear stand against the levy of local taxes and refused to pay. When it became apparent that he couldn't defer it any longer, Gastrel decided to dismantle New Place completely. The people of Stratford were horrified at this act and drove him from the town. A bylaw was passed so that neither Gastrel nor any of his descendants could ever live in the town again. He returned to his duties in Frodham, and a mulberry tree, believed to have been from a cutting of the original, was planted in Stratford and still stands in the gardens of New Place. The church, however, remembers Francis Gastrel as a benefactor. Most of the old silverware, much of it still in occasional use, having been his gift to the church. The role of Vicars of Frodham includes another name worthy of note, William Charles Cotton, but more on him later. Walk now to the window depicting three saints. Here you will see Saint George, patron saint of England, Saint Lawrence, the church's patron saint, and Saint Werburg, patron saint of Chester. Saint Werburg was an Anglo-Saxon princess who became abbess of Ely, and in AD 975, the monastery, which formed the foundation of Chester Cathedral, was built and dedicated to her. Saint Lawrence is thought to have been born in Spain, at Huesca, a town in the Aragon region. He was one of seven deacons who were in charge of giving help to the poor and needy. When a persecution broke out, Pope Saint Sixtus was condemned to death. As he was led to execution, Lawrence followed him weeping. Father, where are you going without your deacon? I am not leaving you, my son, answered the Pope. In three days you will follow me. Full of joy, Lawrence gave to the poor the rest of the money he had on hand, and even sold expensive vessels to have more to give away. The prefect of Rome, a greedy pagan, thought the church had a great fortune hidden away so he ordered Lawrence to bring the church's treasure to him. Lawrence said he would bring the treasure in three days. Lawrence went through the city and gathered together all the poor and sick people supported by the church. When he showed them to the prefect, he said, This is the church's treasure! In great anger, the prefect condemned Lawrence to a slow, cruel death. The story has it that Lawrence was tied on top of an iron grill over a slow fire that roasted his flesh little by little. Lawrence was burning with so much love of God, though, that he almost did not feel the flames. In fact, God gave him so much strength and joy that he even joked, 
turn me over, he said to the judge. I'm done on this side. And just before he died, he said, It's cooked enough now. Then he prayed that the city of Rome might be converted to Jesus, and that the Catholic faith might spread all over the world. St. Lawrence's feast day is August the 10th. Adjacent to the three saints' window is a window depicting faith, hope, and charity. The figure of hope is holding an anchor, a symbol of safety, and a sheaf of wheat, a symbol of the Christian faith. Walk into the chapel at the end of the aisle. We find ourselves in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel, formerly known as the Hellsby Chapel. It retains what is known architecturally as a perpendicular window, and dates it to the 14th century. Other examples of perpendicular windows can be seen high up in the chancel area of the church. Note the reredos, the panelling behind the altar, which dates from the 17th century and reputedly came from Warrington Parish Church. The outer boards show the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer, with the middle board showing the words of the Creed, the Creed being a statement summarising Christian belief. During some seasons of the year, the Creed is covered by a plain board upon which is mounted an icon. A tabernacle or umbri stands to one side of the chapel, and is where the consecrated bread and wine are stored prior to being taken out to people unable to attend church. A light always burns over the tabernacle, reminding people of Jesus' presence. The perpendicular stained glass window here illustrates verses from the scripture and is particularly appealing to children. Step outside the chapel to the large chest. Note the sturdy parish chest with its three locks for maximum security. The chest would have contained papers and artefacts of values and importance to the church. The individual keys to the locks were held by three people, and ensured that no one person, or indeed two, could make decisions about the content of the chest. The chest was made by Robert Harper in 1679. Note the plaque by the pulpit relating to William Charles Cotton, vicar from 1857 to 1879. Reverend Cotton was well known for his ability to literally handle bees and roll the insects about with his hands like so many peas. Cotton had previously served as chaplain to Bishop George Augustus Selwyn when he was appointed as the first Anglican Bishop of New Zealand. There is a tradition that Cotton introduced bees to New Zealand during his time there, but this is thought to be incorrect, although he was largely responsible for the teaching of the skills of beekeeping to the immigrants and the indigenous population. It was during Cotton's ministry in Frodham that the urgent need for restoration reached its peak, but the challenge proved too much for him, and he became unwell and was relieved of his duties in 1879. Cotton did much to improve the provision of church schools in the parish, which at that time included Kingsley, Norley, Olvenley, and Helsby, and in his memory, the symbol of the honeybee appears on the chain of office of Frodham's mayor, and in various other places in the town. A Frodham street named Maori Drive reminds its inhabitants of Cotton's earlier ministry in New Zealand, and a Maori inscription is still present on the doorstep of the vicarage of the day, now known as the Old Vicarage. The current pulpit, dating from the 1880 Restoration, replaced a three-decker pulpit, 
The sounding board, hanging high on the wall above the pulpit, is said to have come from the original pulpit. The name of the long-standing and much-loved church warden who hung the board, Jim Harvey, is recorded out of sight for future renovators to discover. Walk now towards the high altar and into the chancel. Once in the chancel, note the central arch and the broad arches rising from octagonal piers between the chancel and the side chapels. These are from the 14th century extension of the Norman church. During the extension, the roof was raised and the perpendicular clerestory, or high-level windows, were added. In the area behind the communion rail, note the canopied sedile, or priest's stall. It was added in the 15th century, and no doubt included a step, long gone, to enable the priest to access his seat. The piscina, a stone basin with a drain for washing the communion vessels, is in the area behind the communion rail. Do open the gate in the rail and go through to see it more clearly. The carved head over it is thought to be the reuse of an earlier 14th century corbel, a corbel being a projecting piece of stone carved to add interest. The reredos behind the altar is the work of H.S. Rogers and was added in 1915. It was given in memory of his mother. It depicts four figures. From left to right, these are Saint Lawrence with his gridiron, the symbol of his martyrdom, the Archangel Gabriel holding a pen, a symbol of his role as God's messenger, the Blessed Virgin Mary holding a Bible, the symbol of her faith, and Saint Cuthbert, Saint of Chester Diocese, holding the head of Saint Oswald. Saint Oswald was a king of Northumbria who died trying to unite England. His head, as a venerated relic, was later placed in Saint Cuthbert's coffin. On either side of the Reredos are a number of images depicting the tools of the Passion, symbols of Jesus' last days on earth. Starting at the left, they show a bag of 30 pieces of silver, Judas's payment for the betrayal of Jesus to the Sanhedrin, the supreme religious body of the Jewish people. A cockerel, a symbol of Peter's denial of knowing Jesus on three occasions before the cock crowed. Whips, used by the soldiers to scourge Jesus. The crown of thorns placed on Jesus' head as he was placed on the cross. The three crosses at Golgotha, the place of Jesus' crucifixion. Nails and a hammer, used to secure Jesus to the cross. Dice and clothes, symbols of the game played by the soldiers as they gambled for Jesus' clothes. And finally, a sponge and vinegar, offered to Jesus to moisten his lips. A number of monuments are now hung on the walls of the chancel, the most interesting being those to members of the Ashley family who lived at Park Place, now known as Castle Park, during the 18th and 19th centuries. The beautiful white alabaster memorial is to William Allen and his wife from 1825, showing their heads in profile. The memorial is said to be the work of Sir Francis Chantry, the celebrated early Victorian sculptor. It was erected by their son Joseph Allen, who married into the Ashley family and later became Bishop of Bristol and then Bishop of Ely. The organ was built by the well-known firm of James Binns, and the case is by James Aldred Scott of a famous architectural family. Forty-seven pipes are visible, but taking into account all the manual keys, stops and pedals, 1,760 are hidden from view. 
The organ dates from 1883 and was restored in 1922. Go through the wooden doors into the Kingsley Chapel, sometimes known as the Lady Chapel. This chapel was originally associated with important local families of Kingsley, and is assumed to have formed part of the 14th century extension to the church. It has, however, been rebuilt several times, once as the result of serious damage brought by a water spout or tornado. The current chapel is a product of the Victorian Restoration, as is the aisle that runs from the chapel to the back of the church. The stained glass window is dedicated to John Robinson, who died at the age of 61 in 1894, and to his sister, Hannah Frodham Lewis. John Robinson was the doctor for the village of Frodham for 35 years. The window was designed and made by Archibald Kitely Nicholson, and installed in 1933. The following is an extract from notes made at the time by Nicholson. The subject of the design is the Tree of Life, with the healing leaves from which our Lord reigns in majesty. Interspersed among the branches of the tree will be seen various types of mankind who have been specially gifted by spiritual communion with our Lord to lead their fellow men to the knowledge of God. Included among such personages will be found martyrs, prophets, scientists, artists, and craftsmen who have endeavoured to raise the thoughts of men to a higher spiritual plane through the gifts with which they are endowed. In the centre light our Lord stands, wearing royal and sacerdotal robes with hands raised in blessing. From him proceed rays of light which permeate and flood the groups of figures. Below is the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and underneath is the Virgin and Child. At the foot of the tree are the figures of Adam and Eve. The people represented among the branches of the tree, reading from left to right, are St. Stephen and Bishop Patterson, who stand for the martyrs, Lord Lister and St. Luke, representatives of the scientists and those who heal, John the Baptist and Isaiah, representing the prophets of God, Newton and Euclid, who stand for logic and science. In the lower tier are St. Barbara, the patroness of architecture, and Sir Christopher Wren, whose tercentenary was being celebrated in the year in which the window was created. Galileo and St. Catherine, who represent learning. The composer Handel, and St. Cecilia, patroness of sacred music. St. Mary of Bethany, who symbolized the contemplative life. Queen Matilda, who wove the Bayeux tapestry. At the base of the window, the thought of the missionary movement is indicated, the movement which has led and is leading mankind to Christ and his holy hill. It will be seen that the tree is growing out of a hilltop, and around its base flow streams of living water. On one side the lion and the lamb lie down together, and on the other side of the tree, the heart refreshes himself at the waters of life. In other lights, we have people representing the missionary movement over the centuries. With them are groups of people depicting the many ethnicities of the world. They all crowd towards the tree set in the garden. Here will be seen Saint Xavier leading the peoples of the Indian subcontinent, Saint Augustine the teacher of the peoples of the Western Europe, Saint Paul the Apostle whose missionary work took him across Turkey and Greece to Rome, and David Livingstone who famously worked in Africa. In the tracery lights on either side will be seen the great archangels Michael and Gabriel, and elsewhere the heavenly bodies.
More detail is included in the letter of information given to the church by Archibald K. Nicholson, a framed copy of which hangs just outside the chapel. The altar here was made in 1678 and, along with the reredos and woodwork in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel, is considered a fine example of 17th century woodwork. This tradition has continued through time and the quality of the wood carving within the church is considered worthy of merit. Leave the chapel, and as you go, look to your left. Along the walls of the main body of the church are the thirteen Stations of the Cross. The plaques document the story known as the Passion Story, which tells of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, his betrayal and crucifixion, and of his joyous resurrection. The first one lies just outside the door of the chapel. The modern altar in the centre of the church is a sign of the ongoing commitment of the congregation to maintaining and developing the mission and life of the church. The altar was given in memory of James Gibson Harvey, an active member of the church family for much of his life, and Father Arthur Birch, a much-loved clergyman who retired to the parish. The altar was dedicated by the Bishop of Chester in 2010. At the time of writing, spring 2015, the church is undergoing renewal of its roof. The church has been supported financially in this endeavour by the Heritage Lottery Fund, although considerable funds have been raised locally amongst the loyal congregation and the people of the town. The next phase of work will include restoration of the tower, and our fundraising endeavours will continue. Finally, you may wish to explore the exterior of the church and the graveyard. As you explore, why not visit the east end of the church, where, if you look carefully at ground level, you will see the blocked-in arch of a doorway. Church records suggest that this may have been the cell of an anchoress or female recluse attached to the church in the 13th century. The church hopes one day to be able to investigate this claim further. Another treat to be found in the graveyard is the grave of Prince Warrabo, the prince was sent to England by his father, King Jarjar of Apobo in Nigeria, to be educated at Manor House School, sited in what is now the Uetben restaurant on Main Street, Frodham. After playing cricket on Friday the 14th of April in 1882, Warabo was seized with an acute inflammation of the lungs and died at 8.25am on Friday the 21st, April 1882. He had been very popular with the Frodgham people, and as a mark of respect most of the shops closed and pupils of Mr. R. D. Turner's school, which then occupied part of the Crosby house, lined the road near the church, and the women carried many flowers and wreaths. At the graveside, they sang the hymn, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. As well as its interest as a historic building, the church is a thriving and well-attended centre of worship within the town. We encourage you to spend a little time in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel reflecting on your visit, and to light a candle there. Should you wish us to pray for you, or someone special to you, please fill in a prayer card and attach it to the prayer board. These prayers are brought before God each day by members of the congregation who come into the church to say morning or evening prayer. You would be very welcome to join us and the times are given on the weekly notice sheet, copies of which are available at the back of the church.